0: You know, I I don't know what what to think about this, um, but I want you to kind of put yourself in my shoes for a minute and think about on the day that you're supposed to teach that somebody chooses a song called um, I Got Leaving on My Mind. (laughs) You know, I was going to have a really hard discussion with somebody named Steve Burns about that, and then the elf made me forget the whole thing, so let's pray together before we look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you in particular for um, the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken and shed for us. And we pray that as we look at your word that you'll help us to focus on that, to understand its meaning, to make it a part of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin today by um, reading with you three accounts that are very similar Um, But they occur on very distinct occasions. The first is the most familiar, and it's on the front of your bulletin. It's in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. And it says this, And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them. The second and the third accounts are also from Luke's gospel. Much earlier in chapter 9 and verse 16, Luke writes, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. And then finally, in chapter 24 and verse 30 of Luke, we read, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Most of us easily recognize um, the first and second stories. They are, respectively, the Last Supper when Jesus took the bread and broke it, gave thanks and broke it. And the feeding of the 5,000 did the same thing before he fed those people. Some, no doubt, are biblical scholars here, and they uh, recognize the third story is about the two disciples who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to suggest that what may seem uh, an improbable connection exists between the first and the third story. The connection is worthy of our attention, I think, because the experience of the disciples on the road to Emmaus gives us valuable insight into the Lord's Supper, which is what this service is about. At least that's what I hope to show you. And finally, and what may seem even more improbable, the key to understanding the connection between those two stories, between um, the, the Last Supper, and the, road, the experience of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the key to understanding them is the second story, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, how's, how's that for running in a circle? I saw a guy with track shoes on today, so he obviously knew this was going to be difficult. Now, I, I, I ran this, um, my notes, by my dear wife, God bless her, who puts up with so much. And um, I I asked her, did it make sense? And she said, yeah, that made sense, but I had to read it twice. Well, if she had to read it twice and she's smarter than the average bear, then I figured I'd probably have to say that twice. So let me see if I can can come back to that again. I'm going to establish, I hope, a connection between the, the Last Supper and what Jesus did there and the experience of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I'm going to suggest to you that, uh, th- that there's a very important connection there that helps us understand the Lord's Supper and that the key to that connection is in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, if you look puzzled, I'm going to say that again. So everybody just go, yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it. Okay, good. Okay, I think we can go on. Now, before we connect the stories, I want you to think about memory or memories. After all, Jesus gave us the command and the instructions for the Lord's uh, Supper for the purpose of remembering. That's a specific approach to memory. We take a deliberate action as a way of remembering, remembering a commemoration. Everyone who has a birthday, I assume that's you all, uh, understands this. Everyone who's been to a birthday party understands this. Every husband who has an anniversary better understand this. We, we take a specific action. We have traditions or you might even say rituals that we observe to to bring a memory to mind. This connected in a kind of a funny way for us this week um, it, when we were having Thanksgiving supper. It was also the birthday of my wife's aunt. And so it, with all of that stuff that goes along with Thanksgiving supper and those incredible desserts, you know, pumpkin pie, which I just live for. Um, we also had a cake with candles and we sang happy birthday because it's so important for us to deliberately, uh, intentionally remember things with an action. There's another way we remember. We, call it, we could call it a spontaneous or involuntary memory. That's when something we encounter by sight or smell or taste or sound or, or even touch reminds us of something else. It brings it to our memory. That, I think, is what happened with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let's uh, look a little deeper at that story. After telling us that Jesus joined these two disciples on their long walk, but they were kept from recognizing him, Luke writes that at the end of their conversation, when Jesus broke the bread and began to give it to them, their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from from their sight. Apparently, the sight of Jesus taking bread, giving thanks, and breaking it triggered their memory. And they recognized Jesus. Now, for a long time, I thought there was an obvious connection between this story and the, the Last Supper. Jesus breaking the bread. That's the connection. It makes perfect sense, except for one thing. These two disciples were not present at the Last Supper. That's not where they saw Jesus take bread and give thanks and break it. It was the twelve that were there, and these two guys were not part of the twelve. And we know that as we look at that story. So where did they see this action on Jesus' part of taking bread, giving it thanks, and breaking it? I can't prove this, but I think it seems clearer. They were present on another occasion when Jesus did the same thing. Like the feeding of the 5,000, for example. And if they were present, then they probably heard the great bread of life discourse that followed. That discourse is found in John's gospel. All the gospels tell us the story of the feeding of the five thousand. But only John tells us of the extended discussion that followed. In in chapter six of John, he records that after that miracle, Jesus sent the disciples on ahead of him across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. He caught up with them walking on the water And the next day, the crowd that was fed caught up to Jesus and the disciples. Here's what happened. we pick this up in uh, verse 25 of chapter 6 of John. When they found him on the other side of the lake, the crowd, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. that we may see it and believe on you. Bear in mind, these were the people that just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That's just a parenthesis. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I can see Todd licking his chops because he could expound this quite a bit, but he didn't get the chance today. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There's a lot more to this discussion, but Jesus ties it up with this. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Now, here's what I want you to see. The disciples on the road to Emmaus recognized Jesus because they had seen a miracle, the miracle, but they had seen Jesus do this action, and they had heard the meaning behind it. And the disciples in the upper room who had the same experience also received instructions from Jesus about remembering his death. Here we have two sides to the same coin. Jesus commands the observance, the practice, if you will, of breaking bread and drinking wine in a specific manner as a deliberate act of remembering, a commemoration. But the practice would be empty ritual without the understanding that was built into the memory of the two on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus was himself the bread of life, sent from heaven to give his life for us. When we observe the Lord's Supper, it is incumbent on us to bring understanding to the actions. We're not consuming magic bread and juice. That is, unless King Super sells magic bread and juice. We eat and drink with clear understanding that in so doing, we remember the death of the Lord. It was later, after the church was established, that Paul, the great missionary who we've followed through the book of Acts, had to write to the believers in a city, Corinth, to admonish them about the way they were coming to the Lord's Supper. Because their hearts weren't right. After telling them not to trivialize these sacred moments, he reminds them what the Lord said to the disciples. And then he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup or anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That means that we don't enter into this observance lightly. It means, among other things, that we don't come with unfinished business with God, like unconfessed sin or anger towards another person, or an unforgiving heart, or bitterness. It means that we don't let the cares of this world crowd out what we're doing. So we don't think about how much snow is going to fall, or what's the next recipe we can do with turkey leftovers, or what the football game score will be this afternoon. Instead, we are completely present here. And when we take the bread we concentrate, we focus on the body of Jesus that was broken for you and me. And when we take the cup, we think about his blood that was shed and how it forms a new covenant, a new testament in his blood for us. When I was um, growing up, most of the churches that I attended, when we took the Lord's Supper, there was always a little time. A little time for self-examination, I found that to be really worthwhile. We're going to do that this morning. Gene's got a song he's going to sing with the band. And rather than you start to participate in the, in the uh, Lord's Supper during this song, let's, let's just take a moment. Let's take some deep breaths. Let's examine ourselves. Let's see what there might be between us and the Lord. And then Craig will lead us through the rest of the service.